I'm going to do something this morning that I often do, but I don't tell you that I'm doing it. So the only real difference today between uh, what I want to say today and what I normally say is that I'm telling you on the front end that I am preaching a sermon to myself, and I'm going to let you listen in today on the sermon that I'm preaching to myself. Um, I, I want to be transparent, and I have been transparent in just sharing over the last couple of months. I've just felt a real mix of hope and disappointment lately, and it, it's really just me for the most part, my perspective and the things that I see or the particular way that I see things. Um, it, and it's sort of like a, a thing that pastors carry anyway, this concoction that they carry around with them all of the time. It's like things are going well at the church, but then there's all this stuff that isn't going well. Things are going well at home, but there's all this stuff that isn't going well. It's really not that different from your own life. Uh, and whatever church it is that you lead, your work, your school, whatever it is. We, and especially in a place like New York, I've found, we've, we've been here a little over eight years now, and I've learned, and maybe part of it's just being an adult, is that it's hard to have hope without that mixture of disappointment uh, that comes along with it. And, um, and if I'm being honest this morning, I've just, I, over the last couple of months, I've felt more disappointment mixed in with the hope, like the ratio is off. It's enough for me to feel it. Normally, my disappointment is sort of like manageable, whatever, and I just sort of like, whatever, deal with it. Uh, because, I, because I have this great amount of hope. And, um, uh, but it's, the mixture's been off enough for me to actually really feel the, the disappointment. And it, it, I, I've been talking to many of you, and I know that it's actually not just me, that many of you feel something similar to that. You have so much to be hopeful for, so much to be grateful for, so much to celebrate, but at the same time, you have this other stuff. And some of it's big in your lives, some really big things that you're facing. Uh, for others of you, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts kind of thing. But I sense that this isn't just sort of a phenomenon for me, but this, I want to share with you this morning how God has been dealing with me, particularly how God dealt with me regarding my own sense of disappointment in this last week. So I'm not sure, I am curious to know how it is that you deal with that disappointment when you feel it. Like, what do you do with it? I started thinking, how do I deal with my disappointment? Sometimes I double down on the hard work that I'm doing, or I double down on, like, my priorities, or I just, like, okay, I'm just going to, like, focus more on this stuff and I'm gonna do more, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try harder, or, or whatever. Uh, sometimes I disconnect. I, instead of doubling down, it's kind of the opposite of that. I just sort of disconnect from the stuff that I feel disappointed in. So I'll disconnect from people that disappoint me. I'll disconnect from parts of my job that disappoint me. And I'll just only sort of be around the people that like give me hope and joy and all the kind of stuff that I really long for and want to feel more of. Or I'll focus on parts of my job that I'm actually good at and I really like doing and I'll just do those things. So sometimes I'll disconnect. Sometimes, and maybe this is more than I care to admit, I just deny it. I don't double down and I don't disconnect. I just pretend it's not there. I feel this disappointment weighing me down but I just sort of keep moving through life as if what I'm experiencing is normal. So I, I do some sort of combination of all three of those things. You probably have a default way of managing your disappointment. I think as I've 
reflected this past week, what do I do when I feel disappointed? Not just sort of like in a day or in a moment or over a particular situation, but sort of this like, this is kind of the air I've been breathing for a while. That's concerning. What do I do with this? I just realized that my natural response, whether it be to double down, disconnect, deny, whatever it is, that just doesn't work. And um, I'm not sharing this with you to, 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 to describe how incredibly spiritual I am, but what I'm going to share next, I'm just sharing out of a place of vulnerability to say, when, when I come to terms with the fact that whatever it is I'm dealing with is too real for me to pretend it isn't there, then I tend to get really focused on hearing from the Holy Spirit. It's like, okay, Lord, you've got my attention because my sort of natural resources aren't working here. Now, I wish as, I, as your pastor I could say, oh, I just live in that space all of the time. I just have this beautiful relationship with the Spirit. He speaks to me in my dreams, and when I wake up, it's the first good morning I hear, and as I'm pouring my coffee, I feel the goodness of God. Now, that part is true, but besides that, I kind of have like a normal sort of like two steps forward, one step back in my sort of spiritual growth progression. And I wish I were further along in the way that I react to the Holy Spirit or the way I react to my disappointment and engage with the Holy Spirit. But when I was feeling this way last week, when I was really feeling that disappointment and recognizing this probably isn't going away anytime soon, I created some space to practice one of our church's missional um, habits. I created some space in my week. I did this a few times, but the, I want to share one in particular, one of these times with you in particular this morning. But I created some space to, to spend a period of time listening for the Spirit's voice. I knew I was at the end of sort of like what I could come up with, and, and I really needed to, to hear from the Spirit. And uh, when I quieted myself, before the Lord, it was right here, just at the top of the park, uh, where I was seated by myself, listening for the Holy Spirit. And when I quieted myself, the Lord clearly brought to mind these words that I want to share with you this morning. They're actually found in Revelation chapter 2, but it was clear as day, and I was so encouraged that those words came as quickly as they did. I've gone periods of time before, multiple periods of time in a row, where I feel like, God, are you even there? But in this moment, sort of this moment of weakness and need, the Holy Spirit spoke and brought these words to mind. And I was like, where is that? That's in Revelation, I know. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's right there. Revelation chapter 2. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 2. And some of you are laughing because you don't have a Bible and no one owns a Bible. Well, you have a phone, and on your phone, uh, there is probably a Bible or a Bible app of some kind. Um, you can download our churches. Uh, TGC Westside app from the Apple Store or that other, what's the other one called? Google, what? Play. Thank you. Sorry, non-Apple people. I want to invite you to turn with wherever you're at, with whatever you have, to Revelation chapter 2. So this is a, a, a personal message that I want to share this morning, but I want to share what the, the Spirit spoke to me because I do believe that this might be what the Spirit has for you too. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, the words that came to mind when I just quieted myself and listened to the voice for the voice of the Holy Spirit weren't these words, they're the words that 
come immediately after these words. But I, I started at the beginning, and those are the first words that I read. These are the words of Jesus to the church at Ephesus, okay? So Jesus here at the beginning of Revelation is speaking through, in a vision through the apostle John, and Jesus is going to deliver specific words to seven churches. Now, these were actual churches at the time of, uh, of John's writing, when John is exiled on the Isle of, Pat- Isle of Patmos writing these words. These are actual churches, but many scholars believe that these seven churches represent all churches in all time, that we might be able to locate ourselves as a church sort of in one of these churches, that we might look like one of these churches. So these are the words of Jesus to the church at Ephesus. It's, it's helpful to note that Ephesus was the New York City of the ancient Roman world. That fact was not lost on me when God brought me to these verses. I thought, here I am, I'm living in New York City, I'm reading the words that Jesus speaks to his church at, at the New York City, who were living in the New York City of their day in the, in the Roman world. It's situated, this Ephesus is situated in, in modern-day Turkey. It was the major metropolis of the day. And so immediately I felt a connection between what I'm experiencing and probably what the Ephesian Christians had been experiencing in their lives as well. And so I think as Christians in New York, we as Christians can um, relate most to the Ephesian Christians in the early church. So the question then is, okay, what is it that Jesus wants to say to them? What is it that Jesus has to, what's the word that Jesus has for them? What does Jesus want the Ephesian Christians who are living in a global city What is it that he wants them to know? He wants them to know something that seems a little obscure, that he holds the seven stars and that he walks among the seven lambs. Can I just cut through all of the biblical study to tell you what that means? He wants them to know two things, that he has not let go of them and that they are not alone. Though they may feel small in their city, that they, though they may feel alone in a big place, that they have been secured by Jesus, and that Jesus is present with them, that they're not alone. So when the Lord took me there this past week, it meant so much to me to remember this simple fact that I'm not alone. That was huge. Here I am feeling disappointed, maybe feeling a little sorry for myself. I don't know why. I can't put my finger on all of what that means. But I'm bringing this to the Lord. I'm saying, Holy Spirit, speak. And the Holy, the Holy Spirit speaks, and he brings me to this, this place that, 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 that reminds me that I'm, I'm not by myself, that I'm not alone. So if you're feeling disappointed today, and there's a chance that you are in some way feeling disappointed If you are confused, God, I've been doing all this stuff for you, and yet this is what I'm experiencing on this. If if you're frustrated, like, I don't know how much longer I can do this, Jesus wants you to know that at least he hasn't let go of you, and you're not alone, that you're secure. Like the psalmist writes in Psalm 41.6, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. You're not alone. I, I needed to be reminded of that this week, but, but there's more. Not only is Jesus with me, which is the first thing that Jesus revealed by his spirit when I said, God, speak to me. Not only is Jesus with me, but Jesus also sees me. Now, this is really great. This is the thing that I sensed 
immediately when I began to sort of sit in God's presence that this is what he was speaking to me. This is verses 2 and 3, Revelation 2. I know your deeds. I, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that, you've been, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. I mean, all of that was true for me except the not growing weary part. And I thought, okay, I'm going to stay here, though. This is where the Holy Spirit brought me. I assume he knows what he's talking about. So Jesus wants the Ephesians to know that he sees their good deeds. This is, this is actually pretty big. That he sees their hard work, that he sees their perseverance, that he sees their righteousness, that he sees their good theology. That not only is Jesus with the Ephesians, but he sees their effort. And Jesus wants them to know that he sees it, and by telling them that he sees it, he's affirming everything that they're doing. Man, it's disappointed to be doing a bunch of good stuff that nobody knows about. Not that you're doing it for that reason, but you, you're working hard, you're doing all this stuff, you're sweating, you're making sacrifices, you're doing all of this, and for no one to recognize it, I mean, how long can we really go that way? Not only is Jesus with them, but he sees them. Going through life, working hard and doing good while wondering if anyone sees, or if anyone knows, or if anyone cares, that is... That's hard. Well, it's hard for me. Maybe you're more mature than I am, but it's, it's definitely difficult for me. But when Jesus spoke these words over me this past week, that he sees me, something began to change inside of me. I didn't all of a sudden just like, no more disappointment, but something began to change. All of a sudden, I found myself in the middle of a great city, knowing that Jesus was with me. And not only that, but all the stuff I've been complaining about to God, God, I've been doing this, and you see me doing this, and you've judged my heart here, and you know that this is where I'm at, and this is what I, and then yet I'm disappointed, and I'm frustrated, and things aren't going like I want them to go, whatever that is. And Jesus said to me, he didn't say, be quiet. What he said is, I see that. I see it. And some of you have been working really hard Something began to change. I knew in that moment that I could keep going. I felt this resolve kind of like rising up in me that I hadn't felt for a while. Maybe that's all you need this morning. Maybe all you need this morning is for someone to stand up here to read God's word and to tell you that Jesus sees you. That Jesus sees how hard you're working to provide for your family. Jesus sees you. And Jesus sees all that you're doing to make your situation work here in New York City. He sees you. He sees how many times you've moved. He sees how many times you've slept on someone's couch. He sees how many times you've had to leave your apartment for whatever reason because they have to fix something or they didn't fix something or some little critter, critters moved in um, uninvited. He sees all of that. He sees your effort to pursue him at times where you just absolutely feel like giving up. And so if you don't hear anything else this morning, I hope you hear me say this. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Jesus sees. Jesus knows. Don't stop. Keep 
going. I had a group of pastors. I shared last week a group of pastors pray over me a couple of weeks ago. And one of the pastors, as we were praying, he says, I see Moses, and I, I see what Moses is about to do, and I feel like the Lord is telling me to tell you, don't hit the rock. You know that story? It's, it's the story where Moses is leading God's people and there was a time previous in Moses' life where the people needed water, and God said to Moses, strike the rock, and, and water will flow from this rock. And then the people find themselves again later in the same situation without water, although this time, like, Moses is frayed. He's at the end. He hasn't done any of our missional habits. He's not sitting and listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit like he should. And God doesn't tell him to strike the rock. He tells him to do something else. But Moses, in his anger, strikes the rock. He's had it. He's had it. And we all need brothers and sisters in our lives. And that's what this church is and can be. To come alongside us and say, don't strike the rock. Don't hit the rock. Don't give up. Jesus sees you. So Jesus is with me. That's Revelation 2, 1. Jesus sees me, Revelation 2, 2, and 3. And I got to this part. Honestly, it wasn't my favorite part. Jesus rebukes me. Honestly, I was like pretty good up until that point. I should have just ended my time with God there. I lingered a little too long in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he kept speaking but this was, such a, this was such a gift. I think God wanted me to know why I was struggling. In other words, everything up to this point in Revelation 2 was really encouraging to the Ephesians. Hey, we know you're feeling, God's, God is saying, I know you're feeling this way, but I'm with you, you're not alone, you're secure, I see you, keep going, don't strike the rock, don't quit, you're good, okay? But... Up until this point, I don't really know why I'm frustrated. I don't know where my disappointment is coming from. And the Holy Spirit in his kindness wants me to know. And so I sit and I continue to read because I really needed to hear what comes next. This is verse 4, Revelation 2. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. In this one line, Jesus solved my riddle. With these simple words, Jesus sort of like undid this incredibly, what I saw is this incredibly tangled mess. If you've ever been fishing, then you probably messed up your line. I do it every single time, which is why I rarely go fishing. Your line just gets in this big knot, this ball, and if you're with somebody, it's like, I don't know, you know, I'll be with you in two hours, whatever it is. And, and that, that to me was like sort of I couldn't figure out why the hope with the disappointment and why the disappointment levels were rising and the hope seemed to be uh, minimizing. And then Jesus just solves the riddle. Somewhere along the way, I had forgotten something really important. I'd forgotten something that I used to have. I'd forgotten something that I had a while back. It was love. I'm doing all of these things. I'm doing all the things I've always done, which is why some of you seem confused and feel confused right now. And I get it. That's where I was. 
and that's probably where I'll be again, probably sooner rather than later. And I'll need to be in the Spirit's presence so that he can remind me so I can take those two steps forward again before I take that step back. You're doing all of the things, you're working hard, you're doing good deeds, you're persevering, but something else is missing. And I want to just suggest that it might be, because it was for me, it might be love. When I begin to reflect on that for myself personally this week, I realize that, okay, this has been my experience with love, all of that hard work and all of that doing good and all of that persevering with love, that stuff feels good. With love, that feels like, yes, I'm in this. It doesn't mean it's easy because they're still persevering. It doesn't mean that like there's no need in the world because I'm still doing good in the world. It just means that there's something that's connected. There's something that's connecting all the things that I'm doing to God himself, to the person and the presence of God, and that connection is love. And so when I do all the things that I've always done and I love, that feels good. But without love, you know what that feels like? It feels like disappointment. At least it does for me. So it's possible to do all of those things. So you look at the Ephesians. They were doing them. You know Paul spent two years of his ministry in Ephesus with these people? This is the apostle to the Gentile world, the Roman world, and he's camped out in their midst for two years, teaching, admonishing, encouraging, loving, setting the example, answering questions, setting up small groups, running intro. He's doing all of the things that you're supposed to do in a really good community. Paul is doing it. He's their pastor. And he can look around and he sees their good deeds and their hard work and their perseverance and their righteousness and their good theology. That is a really good church. And yet, they've forsaken the one thing that was actually required. The Ephesians had forgotten the love that they used to have. See, motivated by love, you can do anything. anything. Motivated by love, you can root yourself in this city and give yourself over to the mission of God in a way that would change the world. You can do that in love. Without love, you don't stand a chance. With love, we can do anything. We can endure anything. We can overcome anything with love. Without love, what happens? We doubt we grow weary, and we give up doing good because what's the point? So we go from being like Psalm Christians to Ecclesiastes Christians. We, we go from like rejoicing in the Lord always to the futility of all things. And it can feel like a switch gets flipped, and then like overnight, we've gone from having joy, and to, to living in this place of doubt and, and questioning. Because when you lose the love you had at first, the easy stuff starts to feel difficult, doesn't it? Now, if you've ever been in a relationship that just didn't work out, this is a great case study. You could go back, I don't know why Emily's laughing, that scares me, but um, <laughs> she's like, I might be in one now, I'm not sure. <laughs> 
But the, the, the stuff that was so fun and life-giving at the beginning, it just becomes a drain, doesn't it? Like when, there's not, when you don't have love later on, when that has died out for some reason, you've forgotten or forsaken love. You like look back and like the stuff that you used to love about that person just irritates you now. Like that little thing they do with their mouth that was so cute, it is so annoying now. The way that they talk or the little voice that they make, it's just, it's irritating. You just can't wait to strike the rock and just get out of there. The sweet stuff starts to taste bitter, and this is true in life. The stuff that used to be a walk in the park for you, if it all of a sudden feels like you're swimming through wet concrete, and you look back and you go, this was so easy for me in the past. Something's changed. What's changed? I'm doing all the things. You may have forsaken love. Because doing good and working hard and persevering without love is painfully futile. I said futile earlier. That was for those of you from the UK. And um, I'm back to American English now. Okay. Switching to American English. Revelation 2. I'm, I'm sorry. This is Ephesians. Listen to Ephesians. Now, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Is this familiar? You've been to a wedding recently? Okay. 1 Corinthians 13. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Wow. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So what do you gain from hard work, good deeds, perseverance, good theology, righteousness? If you don't have love, you gain nothing. I think that's where the disappointment comes from. It comes from doing the things. It comes from cultivating the soil and planting the seed, but not having the kind of fruit that you thought you would have. That's where the disappointment comes from. And we know it deep down, which is why I keep asking the question, what am I doing all of this for? Anybody else asking that question? Why, why am I doing this? I mean, this same life outside of New York City is easy. And in your weakest moments, you actually say that to people living outside of New York City. Your life is easy. I wish I was a teacher out there. I wish I ran a business over there. I wish I owned property or bought property in that place. That, that's just easy. Like, when you can't figure out what to watch on Netflix and that's like your biggest problem of the week, that's an easy life. <laughs> Some of us are just like trying to get into our apartment without being accosted or like, or like, whatever, you all have your problems, and we all know what it's like to live here. It's hard. And so I think that those questions that we ask are always just beneath the surface when we live in a place like this. What's for the Ephesians too? If you think about, they were living in the sort of the early church equivalent, the Roman world equivalent of where we live. They had to be asking the same things. Gosh, man, we should like go live over there. It's pretty easy in Galatia. I don't know if that's true, but it's like, <laughs> start looking at it the other day. Corinth, I wish, you know. 
What am I doing all of this for? What's the point of it all? And Jesus just gently and kindly solving the riddle rebuked my lack of love. Now, I didn't lose love on purpose or forsake love on purpose or forget love on purpose. It's just what happens because love leaks. And if we don't have like some way of replenishing that love, then we run dry. And in a place like New York, we're often so busy moving and doing and working and good and all of that kind of stuff that we don't realize how low we've gotten. And... Um, and like a nuclear power plant, that when everything is working is fine because all the levels are right. When the levels get off, it gets to a point where you can't recover. And that, that begins this process of meltdown. And that's what happens to so many of us living here in the city, this nuclear meltdown. Because love has gone out, but it's not being replenished. 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 Now I don't know what kind of English I'm speaking. Which makes the next part so helpful. Jesus restores me. Revelation 2.5, consider how far you have fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. In other words, if you want the love you had at first, you have to do the things you did at first. Those replenishment cycles. Now, the challenge is when we're young and we don't know any better, we're being replenished all of the time. Now, some of us maybe grew up in environments or places where that wasn't the case for us. But for most of us, as a child, as we're growing up, most of us, we get some level of affirmation. Our basic needs are being met. We have people telling us you can achieve anything, which isn't true, but they can tell us that anyway. You can be anything you want to be. I can't be anything I want to be. Neither can you. Those things aren't true, but we feel good. We feel affirmed. We feel like, hey, look, I can keep going, not recognizing that love drains out of us. It's being poured back in. It's a cycle. And so if we want to have that love that we had so that we don't live in a perpetual state of disappointment and doubt and questioning, then we need to replenish. And the way that we replenish is we go back to that childlike place again. The place we just did the things that we did. What did you do when you were a child? You played. You played. I, I remember distinctly as a kid. I'm very close to them. I have extended family. I'm very close to them. We all sort of grew up pretty close to each other in central Florida. And I remember distinctly looking at my uncle one day and then feeling so sad because I never saw my uncle play with toys. And I, and I, had, this rec I had this thing, this like sort of epiphany that one day that would be me. And I really, like seven years old, I sank pretty deep that day. That was a hard day. Because you just can't imagine a life without toys when you're a kid. You, you can't imagine a life without love and joy and peace when you're growing up. Now, some of us had to face that earlier than others. We came to that realization much earlier on that life was going to be much more difficult. But here's the thing. When Jesus comes and he brings the kingdom of God, he brings what's possible. He brings life and love and joy and peace. All of that is ours. 
But to live in it and experience it, we have to have that love replenished. And in order to do that, we have to return to the things that we did at first. What were some of the things you did at first? If you can look back and you can say, man, I remember I was doing good deeds and I was so filled and I had so much hope. And maybe we call that naive now. That's when I was naive. No, that's when you were loved. That's when you were motivated by love. That's when you were filled Because the Christian secured by Jesus, who knows the presence of Jesus, who's seen by Jesus, that person doesn't quit when life feels empty. What they do is what John says, Jesus speaking through the messenger of John to the Ephesians, we come back. We don't quit, we come back. We do the things we used to do at first. Uh, a pastor prayed over me recently, and as he was praying, he just stopped and he said, I feel like the, the Lord is saying to me right now that there was a time in your life when you were infatuated with being like Jesus. This dude didn't know me when that was true. But when he said that, I realized he was right. And it just took me back. Now, do I want to be like Jesus today? Yes, absolutely, 100%. Am I trying to align my life and decisions and all of that according to this sort of pathway of pursuing Jesus and becoming like him? 100%. But being infatuated with being like Jesus is different, and I knew the difference when he said it. there's There's a love, an excitement, a joy about it. And so I felt Jesus just say to me this past week, repent, which a simple way of understanding repentance is stop, and start again. That's a simple way. Stop where you're at and just start again. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That we can just start over. That that God has so much grace for us that when things aren't going well and we don't look like Jesus and we're disappointed with, with what's happening in our lives, that we can just stop and we can return to the things we did at first and we can start again and allow God to fill us with his love. Because that's what happened with the Ephesian Christians. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1. Having spent two years with them and now he's looking back, this is what he says. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord uh, and the faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What what does it mean for the Ephesians to go back to where they were, to do the things they did at first? I think it begins, I don't know all this stuff, but I think it begins with remembering who they are 
in Jesus. It begins with like living in this story, not living in the parallel story that you're currently living in, not living in the story of success or the story of whatever it is, but living in the story of Jesus, remembering who you are, waking up in that story, telling yourself that story, being reminded that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you, that God has lavished his love on you, that God has stopped at nothing to pour himself out, to give us himself, to give us all of his love. It's living in that story. There's a simplicity to what John, Jesus through John, is calling the Ephesians back to. There's a simplicity in just simply going back. Quit complicating things and return to a God who loves you, who demonstrated his love in coming in the person of Jesus Christ, who poured out his love by sacrificing his life and gives you the power to overcome everything that you face by the power of the resurrection. That's the story you're living in. Come back to that story. You are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Come back to that story. You're not defeated. You're not done. This isn't going to end. Death doesn't have the final word. Let's go. Let's come back to this story together. This place of incredible love, the love that a father has for his sons and his daughters. That's where we begin. We become children again, recipients of the father's love. And then out of that love, we get to do some other things. Ephesians 4, again, Paul is writing to this church that Jesus is speaking to. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Does this describe how we relate to one another here? Does this describe how you relate to the people in this community? Does this describe how the people in this community relate with you? Are we being humble and gentle with each other? Are we being patient? Are we bearing with one another in love, giving each other the benefit of the doubt? We have some weird exchange in the lobby or on our way into this auditorium or we do so. Are we giving each other the benefit of the doubt that it's early and nobody really likes being up in the morning? Or maybe we had a tough time getting to work because we forgot about the B train and then the C train's like once every 20 minutes or whatever it is. <laughs> or that the marathon's happening or whatever's happening or like your kid, like whatever, and like these guys over here, they got a call this morning, can you come pick our kid up on the way to church? And you're like running late and Emmanuel's like running down the aisle to do the welcome because he's doing a good thing. It'd be so easy to just like look at each other and go, gosh, what's wrong with all of these people? If that's the case, if we're not being completely gentle and humble with one another, if we're not patient with one another, able to bear with one another in love, it means too much love has leaked out without getting replaced. And so let that be a sign to us. The way we think about this church, the way that we think about one another, about being kind and compassionate to one another in Ephesians 4.32, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Or Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Come back. Let's do the things we used to do. Let's receive the love that the Father has for children like you and me. And then let's just like live in that love together. Love for the Father and love for one another. Do we have that kind of love at TGC? Some of you would say absolutely yes because you've experienced it. And others of you would say, I'm not really sure. 
if we, ha- if we have that kind of love here. As your pastor, I don't know. I think we have a ways to go. So ask yourself, do I really love these people? Not do I love, like, so literally, like, if you want to, like, sort of take a glance around. Not, not do I, like, love some of these people. Or not do I like some of the people that I know. But do I love the collective people who belong to this congregation? Or am I content because I just have no more love left to give? Am I, and I'm frustrated and I don't know why and I have all these questions and I feel like giving up. Do I just, like showing up on Sunday mornings is just enough and I could barely do that. Or I'm content to just know a handful of people that constitute my small group. Look, I can't get to, I can't just extend, I just don't have enough. I can't be everything to everyone, and so I'm going to be a little bit of something to like this group of eight people over here. Or am I content to just serve on my scheduled Sunday once a month? For some of us, that's the only day we come to church is the day on Sunday morning. It's the day that we serve. Why? Because we're just drained. We just have so, we either have to get out of the city to try and get replenished in some ways so we're not even here in the city or when we are here, it's just this like, we gotta try to pull ourselves out or make a decision about what to do or what not to do so that we can come be a part of this because it's hard. It's hard when you're running low on love. and it will leave us disappointed. So I want, I'm asking each one of you to listen to me when I say this this morning. We are called as God's people, as a family of God, we are called by God to strive by God's grace. And don't say, well, what about striving to abiding? That's a different kind of striving. That We want to move to a place of abiding in God's love, and then by God's love, by his grace, we can then strive to cultivate and sustain a passionate, true, and deep affection for Jesus and for the people in this room. If we don't have love, we're going nowhere. If you don't have love individually, you're going nowhere. If this church doesn't have love, we're not going anywhere. And some of you are thinking, but today's like my first time here. <laughs> so I want to say to you, welcome. <laughs> we are so thrilled that God has sent you here to strive by God's grace, to cultivate and sustain a passionate, true, and deep affection among God's people. Welcome to Trinity Grace. Others of you are thinking, but I only know the people in my small group. Okay, I get that. Look around. Look around you. This church is bigger than your small group. You have your small group because of this church. So look around. Make it your aim to get to know other people here so that you might do the one thing that God has called you to do as a part of this community, which is to cultivate love. But I don't, even like some of the people here. And if that's you, I just want to say, I understand. (laughs) But right now, we're all you got. So, So we will be a people who strive by God's grace to cultivate and sustain a passionate, true, and deep affection for Jesus and for the people in this room who call this place their family. Jesus restores me, and I'm gonna conclude here, Jesus 
fills me. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. By God's grace, I want to say to you, my church, not the church that I own, the church I belong to, you're my people, as much as I hope I'm your people. By God's grace, I've tasted the fruit of victory this week over my disappointment. And what's so great is I get to keep coming back to this tree because I'm going to get hungry again. I'm going to need to taste of that fruit again. And how do we win? We win when we love. Romans 5, 5, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Did you catch that? We don't have to get outside of ourselves to gain the resource of love. That God, by his spirit, has poured out his love in us. You are capable of loving. So let's not forget love as we move forward as a church community into all that God has for us. Let's stand together.